This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Hello and welcome to the pod. So as you know, I'm living in LA or Los Angeles at the moment. So what I'm doing is for the Monday episode, I am interviewing local creatives or locals that have just got a dream that are going after it. And today is no exception to that. It is the wonderful Elka Berry. Aussie, Melbourne-based, originally actress, who is now here in the land of dreams as an actor, stand-up comedian, voiceover artist, you name it. She's got some ripper stories, some great advice, and she's so inspiring. So I really hope you enjoy this chat from my apartment in LA with the lovely Elka Berry. Big love. Alka Berry, <laughs> welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. I So we, a little bit of backstory here, you and I hiked a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You are an Aussie actor living the dream here <laughs> in the city of dreams <laughs> and you inspired me so, so much. And so it felt like a no-brainer to get you on the pod and you delivered a freaking brilliant bio to me. <laughs> I wish every guest could do that. So thank you again. No worries. Uh, I guess I want to start a little bit before your time here in LA. So you're a Melbourne girl. Mm -hmm. Born and and bred. And is it true like history of athlete and that kind of like go-getter mentality, swimmer and whatnot? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I started athletics when I was really young and I I trained in that for 14 years and (gasps) swimming and was also, um, I'm from a family of professional violinists. So music was in my family uh, for years and years and years. And so it made sense that I was interested in the arts in general because it's in my blood. Totally. Do you find like before going into acting and being like that athletic go-getter vibe? Because I often find the drive of someone that's got sport in their blood Mm -hmm. as well can transfer that drive to because there are lazy actors out there. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Do you find that kind of flicked over for you? Oh, definitely. I think, honestly, the discipline my father gave me as my coach um, and my music teacher um, and seeing him as, a, you know, the lead uh, lead of the second violinists in the Melbourne Symphony yeah. Orchestra for 40, 47 years or 48 years and never had a sick day, always on time. And I grew up seeing him rehearse all day at home and then be on stage every night and he never stopped. And that set the best discipline in my brothers and sisters and I, absolutely. Oh, I played the violin for five years. Oh, there you go. But Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, that's no joke. Like, Yeah, that's one of the best in the world. There's the London Philharmonic and the Melbourne Symphony are considered the top two. It's like like winning an Oscar, you know, if you're invited to be a part of that orchestra and then be a leader for that long and 
So um, his career has definitely been one of the biggest inspirations in my whole life. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you lucky bugger growing <laughs> up. Like, well, I thought everyone grew up with a dad <laughs> that was in the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. I honestly did. And then you'd go to primary school and and be like, you know, my dad's away with Elton John. I didn't know who Elton John was. But, you no. know, the teachers used to say to my mum, you know, your child has a problem with telling the truth. And my mum was like, I remember at one parent-teacher interview when I was younger, she said, oh, no, yeah, yeah, her father's with Elton John. He was touring for the year. And they were like, oh, gosh, sorry. We just thought, you know, because you think everyone's father is touring with Elton John. Touring with Elton John, you know. So it was like a wake-up call. I was like, oh, right, okay, I'm quite lucky. How cool. And so did your parents support you, like, taking the really creative artist path? Um, Actually, my dad did. I think whatever I did in the arts, he was going to be behind it. I think there was a little bit of a come-to-Jesus moment where he had to to accept I wasn't going to be a professional violinist because I didn't want to be. But I have a very big passion for the violin still and I still play. But my mum actually didn't know I was doing acting. I think she's taken a path in her life of being a CEO and... We don't have a very strong bond and I think um, she couldn't empathise as much yeah. as my dad could and so I actually kept it a secret that I was acting in my teenage years. I, I don't feel like that. I feel like a lot of people could probably relate mm, to that. Like yeah. I know and one thing as well I've noticed about parents and like even for me coming over to LA and kind of like leaving the safety of Australia where, you know, it's a, I, I keep saying to people it's a really safe and simple, like very, an amazing existence, mm-hmm. but it's not a scary. Like the, I feel like I was saying to a friend, every time I like even leave the house here, I have to go, right, and jump. Yes. You know, like you feel yes. like that here in, in LA. And I think that parents that don't necessarily get on board straight away with a, a really risky career. Mm-hmm. It's obviously out of protection as well. Yeah. So I kind of get it. It's two two pronged thing. But. Yeah, and I think my mum wanted to be able to say my daughter's just like me yeah. and I wasn't going to reinforce her career choices with my own and so there was a bit of disappointment because I could go down that route having a corporate career as well anyway yeah. but – I just felt like I was going to be selling myself short. This is the one thing I thought my whole life since I was really young. What if one day I'm lying on my deathbed and I have to lie there with regret going, what if I had oh. tried that thing I was scared of? What if? And I I, I honestly have fueled myself out of fear of regret for a lot of the time. Oh, I'm, you're preaching to the choir, a hundred percent, a hundred. And I think that the universe gives you these little like, do you want to take the safe yes. road? Because this safe job and is career right is here. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, no, I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to chase this dream that nobody else can see but me. Okay, so when you started, so you started doing your um, like acting training in Australia, right? Yes. And how old were you when you started doing that and realising, hey, I love this? Uh, I was about... 17 or 18 when I started training and I knew that um, I definitely wanted to be training for a number of years before I even tried to get an agent because I had this very strong sense that, you know, an agent and then a casting director is going to meet me and probably remember me in terms of the way they first saw me. You know, when you meet you, you learn about someone on TV but you're introduced to them as a singer yeah, And then years later they turn up in a film and you go, oh, that's good that they switch into acting. And then they're like, no, 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 I was an actor before I was a singer. It's just that you remember people yeah. in the way that you're first introduced to them. And so I thought, what if I turn up in front of 
casting, whatever, and I'm crap. And then I improve and improve and improve. And then for years to come, casting's going, no, we don't need to see her for that audition because we know that she's shit. Yeah. I was very much like, do not make that mistake. Even though I was desperate to get out there, I really had to have self-control and go, don't do that, Elka. Don't do that. Train for a number of years. And when you feel you genuinely have something to offer, you're allowed to go and get your first agent, but you have to start small and build your way up. Didn't you just say before this podcast, because I was like, I'm really sorry, I wanted extra bio tips and all that, and you were like, someone taught you preparation is? Perfect preparation prevents poor performance. (laughs) Kathleen Barker at the TAC, one of my best (laughs) bosses ever, I love you, Um, and she used to always, always say that to us. Um, And and I remember it just used to really resonate because as much as she used to say it and my co-managers and I used to roll our eyes, we never forgot it and we were like, that's so true. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I think in acting world, you can feel it more than ever. Like even you said, like, when I'm nervous for something, yep. I know I haven't done enough work yet. Yep. It's because I'm not prepared. How, how cool to know that. Like, yeah, how yeah, to even on know me. that about yourself. And to, I think also the discipline you learned from your dad as well. Yeah. Uh, there's a high chance that guy's never going to do anything half-assed. Like your dad's oh. going to do something that he's rehearsed, rehearsed, and rehearsed to the point of like, you can stuff it up and it would it'd be awesome, you know? Yeah, absolutely. His his version of I didn't do well is ridiculously good. So it's good. anyone's best day, anyone else's best day yeah. is dad having a bad day. And so I think a lot of my life I've been driven by I don't want to disappoint myself, but I think I always say to him that he's my conscience and he says, well, I shouldn't be your conscience. That's not right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. But it's true. I'm I'm very lucky I at least have one parent who's, who in the back of my mind I've been able to have as someone I aspire to be like. Totally. It's so funny. Like I always have been like, Dad, I want to make you proud. Dad, I want mm-hmm. like I have books dedicated to you and everything. But since I've got here, my I think my mum was nomadic as a youngster. She was a model and photographer and she wow. and but then she went into nursing. And since I've got to LA, my mum's like, how's it going? Like oh. she's so I feel like a part of her is being realised or something, like yes. this nomadic person chasing their dream. And my like, she's like, just checking in. I want to support. Like, really, shout out to you, mum, if you hear this. <laughs> she's been unreal. Like, I get so pumped up for my chats oh, with mum. Oh, that's so gorgeous. And and with dad. But I, I was so blown away by, like, I think dream chasers can see something else in another dream chaser. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it really evokes something with them, in them. And it's really not, like... So I get the parent, like the effects that parents can have mm. on you with like in a really, really good way mm. with like chasing your dreams. Okay, so mm-hmm. you realise pretty darn young you're like acting's my jam, you started training, your showreel, you've done some great things in Australia oh, like you. Winners and Losers, Iconic, Channel 7, <laughs> Drama. Um, the scene in your showreel is like you doing roll. Is it the roller? Oh derby? my gosh, that was so fun! I had to play the captain of a roller derby. Yes, team. so funny. <laughs> I mean, if I could just, I mean, there's the funniest stories of that shoot where I had to stop on my mark, and I was like, "Can someone teach me how to stop in roller skates?" And I remember Nicholas Buffalo directing us in an episode, and after like our first take um, of one of our scenes, I I missed the I missed the mark. Um, he was like, you're going to skate into this first position. I'm like, great. And I missed it. And afterwards, um, I, he said to me, so Elka, if, you know, by first position, if we could land anywhere within this postcode, 
I'd be happy. And oh my gosh, it was the funniest comment. We all had the giggles and I was like, fair call, fair call. Um, so doing that was great. I was, I'd been in LA for a few years and I came back actually and I was activating my green card. And while I was back, I was only in Australia for a few weeks and I booked a few episodes of that. So that was, that was great because I didn't know what winners and losers was. Of course. And then I came back and it had been this show on the air for a couple of seasons and I was like, oh, this is this is great. Okay, it yeah. It was massive. Yeah. And then City Homicide as well. Yeah, that was before I went to LA. I had – that was a great experience of auditioning for something that was like a one-liner. Yeah. And when I was in the room, I learned a great lesson about not lying about your age because – and um, they couldn't cast a role that was for someone a lot older than the role I was going in for. And when I was in the room, they went, by the way, uh, would you be closer to this age by any chance? And I was like, yes. And they said, great, go out with these sides and, and read this <gasps> character instead. And she was a lot bigger character. No. And I came back in an audition for a different character and, and booked that bigger character. And I remember thinking, how lucky that I, you know, in my head, what, what was going through was honesty is the best policy. Mm. Just, just be very honest with them because whatever's meant to be will be. Cool. And that was like a big, you know, payoff for that. And so yeah. that that was really fun doing that. So I'd kind of done by the time I I came to LA, and a big reason for wanting to come was at the time there weren't a lot of TV shows, and especially produced in Melbourne. And I had a run where I'd done them all. Yeah. In a short period of time and the, one of the first episodes of Offspring and we didn't know if that was going to be continued or axed or whatever. Great because show. Yeah, awesome. You know, and, you know, go figure it's gone for years and years and years. Yeah. But at the time there were so many shows getting picked up and being let go of in a couple of episodes. So I remember at the time doing, you know, one of the first episodes of that and just getting asked directly to do it, not having to audition and being like, yeah, because you know what, it's a small role, but if it's on the air, it's a role I got to do before the show was axed. If it goes for years and years and years, I can come back and do a different character one day. Yeah. And um, by then, by the time I'd done that, I'd, I'd sort of done The Neighbours, City Homicide, Offspring, um, you know, all in this short period of time. And I couldn't audition for anything else. Mm. There was kind of nothing left and I just wanted to go where I could audition more. That was it. Yeah, you hit the ceiling, right, in Australia sometimes with the, with the opportunity. Yeah, and not to say at all that, oh, yeah, I was a big star or anything by any stretch, but I'd got as far as I was able to get given I had just appeared on those shows. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think it was Nathan, Nathan at Mulliners at the time before he had his own business said, yeah, it's going to be 18 months before you could come back as a different character oh, of course. for the audience to forget you. And I was like, oh, gosh, but then what am I? What are you left. meant to do for 18 months? Just yeah, go to fly to Sydney and now do the Sydney shows because, yeah. you know, there was the whole union thing with Sydney and Melbourne. And I just got to this point where I thought um, the joy is in the journey. Even if you're not booking, you know, you need to be good at auditioning because auditioning's the job until mm. you book the job, really totally. auditioning's the job. And I was like, I don't even get to audition now. And like something about that just made me think I have two choices. I can sit and wait for the phone to ring mm. or I can go where I can have more opportunities. And if that was in Australia, I would not have left. It's just that it wasn't in Australia. So I had totally. to just go wherever it was. It wasn't that I was like, oh, stuff Australia. No, totally. I it's was just, just trying to do what I love. You were going to the core, like yeah, the mothership yeah, of where it was. Exactly. So what happened when you told your agent, all right, I think I'm going to go to LA and give it a crack and I want to get an O1, which is for people listening, like the actor's kind of visa, working mm -hmm. visa. And what was their 
response? Well, the lead agent at my agency, who I must say, like, great agent, great auditions. I'd started auditioning for some US mm. stuff and I'd started working in uh, American accent back in Australia and sending off self-tapes and all of that kind of stuff. And I think I'd surprised her with a couple of auditions and she was like, oh, you know, great feedback about this one. And I... I thought, okay, well, someone in America knows I'm alive. Why don't I go over there for two weeks and take some meetings and all of that? And so I told her my idea and and she was, I think she was trying to be protective, but she basically said, you're not going to get an O-1 visa. That's not going to happen. And I'm sorry, but no one's really going to be interested in meeting with you in LA. And I, I must say that crushed me. I, I will never forget getting that email because it was a moment where I I think the child in me wanted to burst into tears because I had this moment where I kind of caught myself mid-thought and my triggered reaction was to cry out of like self-loathing oh, okay. and disappointment and I'm an idiot for That's thinking. That's a hurtful thing to say to someone. Yeah, it was really yeah. hurtful and then I had this moment where I went, no, no, mm. hang on, hang on, let's be logical. What are the chances that she has spoken to every agent and manager in LA? Zero uh, percent. What are the chances that she's spoken to any agent or manager in LA? Probably zero percent as well. So if we logically break this down and mm. we look at the facts and take away the emotion, Elka, because uh, I've been doing a lot of work on myself on, you know, mm. learning to not have emotional responses when I was a lot younger and stuff. Um, I was like, when we look at the facts, this person can't possibly know what they're talking about mm. because it's based on no fact. And just their own life experience, like their yeah. own and their own like filtered judgment of. Yes. And so not I. Not necessarily even you, maybe themselves. Exactly. And I. I chose to write back and say, could I ask, I appreciate your opinion, but would it be okay if I ask, are you saying that to me because you think I'm not, you know, I, I'm not good at what I do, I don't have the chops? In which case it would be pretty dumb for her to say, yeah, you don't have the chops but I'm still repping you because mm. that would be my next comment. Mm. Why, You know, I'd ask, well, why are you repping me if I don't have the chops, mm. if you don't believe in me? Um, and why did you put me up for American roles if you thought I'd never book them? Mm. So I was kind of going to in a way, corner her with a question, but I was like, or are you saying that you have seen other actors on your books try and do what I'm talking about and they have failed and so you're trying to be protective? And she said, more the latter. And so I, I was like, okay, so I see that she's trying to be protective. Mm. And I remember my response being, thank you so much, but they're not me. Yeah, girl. And it was one of the most empowering yeah. moments of my life. And yeah. I was really respectful about it because yeah. I wasn't like, F you to her or anything. I was just like, thank you, but they're not me. Yeah. I'm me. There's only one of me. Yeah. And I work in human resources. I've always had a second career at the same time. I know how to follow a visa process. I know how to do my work. And I know that I, I'm not silly enough to try and go for something if all the legal factual information coming back at me is you're not ready, you yeah. don't have the the criteria covered. Like I'm not going to totally. be someone who goes with stars in my eyes underprepared. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, and a, a, a wonderful actress 
Uh, her name's Ash Brewer, who lives over oh, here. Oh, yes, did, yes. Did Bold and the Beautiful. Yep. I ran into her many years ago at Air One right near CBS. Yeah. I think she was probably shooting yep, she's there. she's working there. And I was like, oh, my God, I was there like full stars in my eyes. Yep. Hadn't done any of the visa process yet. I was on an S-star and I was like, oh, I want to move. And she And she beautifully said it. She was like come here ready because it can eat you up and spit you out yeah, kind of thing. And and it was the best advice and it came from like just pure honesty. Mm -hmm. And I, as a result, I've come here much more ready than I could have three years down the track and being like, like you said, you're not going to go into something without the paperwork done. You're not going to do things until you're set up. Yes. And not just even from a like very practical legal perspective but also like emotionally. You need to do the work on yourself to handle it is an industry of rejection. Yeah, absolutely. And I often think back to coming over at 33 and what's really interesting is if my agent had said that to me and I was maybe 28. You would have listened. I would have listened. Yeah. It would have changed the course of my life. I would have believed her. I wouldn't have had the inner confidence to question it. I wouldn't have known myself well enough. And In all the times I could have won the green card lottery sooner than I did as well, by the time I won that, even though I was already here on an O-1 visa, by the time I won it, I started thinking, what would have happened if I won it sooner? I would have let it lapse. I would have run back home. I wouldn't have been ready. So everything happened when I was ready to take full responsibility for my life with no expectations and live in a very realistic, self-sufficient way. Yeah. Ah, oh, so <laughs> it's amazing. So let's talk LA and LA <laughs> life and work because it is, I think LA is a beast, a beautiful beast, yes. but it is a beast and it is hard and it is raw and it is inspiring and it is hard, man. Like, and I've only been here for like far out, like three months or something. <laughs> and I'm like, and I said to Matt, my boyfriend, I was like, I love that it's hard. Like, yes. I love that nothing gets handed to you. I love that it feels dog-eat-dog. Like it feels yes. really like when you talk about having the chops, like you're going to know pretty darn quick if you've got them or not. Yes. Right? Yes. But you from like the moment, so you got that email from your agent, you were like, okay, stuff this, I'm going to have my own back, I'm going to give this a crack. From pretty soon after landing, you had booked yourself some work and yep. you had an O-1 visa, like you had an actor's working visa, right? Yeah, I got the visa very quickly with premium processing at the time. As it turned out, I had the case for a green card. Yeah, you would have. The same one that I got, I reckon. Yeah, and um, the interesting thing was I was told by my agent I didn't even have enough for an O-1, Mm. but I met with multiple attorneys because I wanted to see the through line of truth and figure it out for myself and get the legal perspective from US-based immigration attorneys Mm. with a fantastic reputation who I felt I could trust and I got a good cross-section of information and the one thing that was consistent across the board was, oh, you have more than enough. Mm. And so I knew I could get it. And then um, I already had an agent um, and manager. I had a commercial agent, theatrical agent and a manager by the time I came over because I did come over for two weeks Mm. uh, whilst I was getting my visa um, information together. And I organised all the meetings myself because my agent wouldn't, as she said, because no one would meet with me. As it turned out, eight people wanted to when I reached out to them. And I got offered rep by all of them. And um, someone sponsored me and I came back three months later and straight off the plane I had a commercial audition and a theatrical audition which was for like a SAG short film. And I didn't didn't have to be a member of SAG at that point to just do the short. 
And I remember seeing this email that said, hey, Elks, this is just purely American accent practice. Like this is just to get you off the plane and into a room and using that American accent. And I booked them both. And now not for a second did I think, oh, that means it's going to be easy. Yeah. I just think there was this sense of anonymity that was attached to me, this energy of no one knows who I am. Mm. No one knows if they're ever going to see me again. I don't know who you are. Mm. I I don't even know what I'm doing here. I've got nothing to lose. I'm just going to leave it all in the room and just walk out laughing at myself pretty much and just see it as a bit of a joke and a game. And I think there was something about that energy of, oh, hang on, who's that girl that's not desperate? Hang on, come back here. And I, it, it was so funny. I remember just getting that call and booking and people who I then met who'd been here a while were like, you're what? And yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, oh, great. And I've tried to capture that essence. <laughs> yeah. I've tried to rebottle that essence yeah. so many times and be like, that energy that I had, that really worked. Um, but it was great to show me. Elka, you're here to play. Yeah, it was a good like affirming. Yeah. It was just that little, it was that little something that I needed and straight away my agent in Australia was interested in me again. And that's that's when I let her go. Yes. Oh. And it was, you know, it was it was hard to let her go, but I I just said, I I thank you for everything and respect everything you did for me. You helped, even you taking me on helped me to believe in myself, but I need someone who's not going to fly in and believe in me now at the 11th hour yeah. when I've booked, when there's money. I, I Ethically, yeah. that's not right with how I was raised. So yeah. it was just some kind of like a principled thing for me more than anything. But I still really am so grateful for her and think she's a very good agent. Oh, yeah. And I think like you never you never regret part of your journey. No. You know? And I really like her as a person. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I'm like, you know what, that's just her journey and her learning and whatever. Yeah. So she was just doing her best. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally hear and completely agree with that. I've got to ask about Wrecked because I saw the, oh, yeah. the snippet from it on your show reel. It looked like so much fun. Oh, my gosh. That was one of my favourite things I've ever done, I must say. That was like a show over here. For people in the US, they would know it. Um, it was on uh, PBS or TBS, PBS, TBS, and um, it was a comedy series. I think it went for two or three seasons. And, you know, you, you self-tape. You self-tape for years as an yeah. actor and you always think when you send off that self-tape, does anyone really get that self-tape and watch it? Does that just go into cyberspace? And yeah. like, I hear so many actors go, I don't know if anyone sees these. Yeah. And I'd been self-taping a long time and I remember getting this audition like 10 o'clock on a, a Saturday night and I was like, what? This is late and it was due the next afternoon. And I remember reading that script and thinking, oh, my gosh, this is so funny and I'm going to believe in myself. I know where the comedic beats are in this character. I know it, I know it, I know it. And I really wanted to book it was opposite Reese Darby playing his wife mm. in an episode or two. And I remember sending off this self-tape and I was sick as a dog. I looked terrible. I was bloated. And I remember just looking, oh, atrocious in this self-tape, but, you know, doled myself up as best I could. And the the guy that was even um, taping for me, he used to always direct me. And you know what? It used to take me out of my impulses mm. being directed because I used to always think, yep, yep, you would know better than me. You would know better than me. Yep, yep, yep. I'll take that direction. And I'm always open to being directed and I love being directed, but I'd also learned to not trust my impulses as an actor yeah, to a degree. Totally. And this one time he went to direct me and I went, eh, <laughs> no, 
Did no, you know? no, no. I'm doing it all my way because I feel the beats in this. I love comedy. I yeah. know comedy. I'm doing it my way. I know how to make this something. And literally by 7 o'clock the next morning, my managers um, on the Monday morning emailed me and said, um, someone from NBC contacted us. They thought your audition was hilarious. Get ready to fly to Puerto Rico tomorrow. And I had to be a Puerto Rican local hire as an Aussie. And I remember saying that on my self-tape audition. I had to say it into the camera. I said, oh, you know, hi, I'm Elka Berry. I'm based in Los Angeles. But ironically... I am a Puerto Rican local hire, you know, <laughs> like who's an Aussie from LA who's a Puerto Rican local hire, you know, honestly. <laughs> and I'm thinking so many actors are right now saying that into the camera. And because I knew I could get myself there and all of that, that was fine and I could get accommodation. And, um, yeah, then I just got this call and it was just like get on a plane and go there. And I looked at the call sheet and I was opposite Josh Lawson and I thought, oh, I love Josh. He's so funny. Oh, my God, he's, a, you know, one of my favourite actors how hilarious. We know each other. This is going to be great fun. I was cheating on my husband, Reese Darby, with Josh Lawson. Winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, this is great. And so I arrive on set and then the director um, who's in with the producers in the little video village comes out and goes, oh, g'day, Elka. Great to meet you. It's Stuart McDonald. And I was like, what? Now, Stuart McDonald is a director from Melbourne who's done a lot of Chris yeah. Lilly stuff. And yeah. I'm like, hang on a second. Yeah. Do you mean to say that I had to move to LA to get an audition to be a local hire as an Aussie in Puerto Rico to work on set with Stuart McDonald from Melbourne and Josh Lawson from Queensland, who's worked in Melbourne a lot? Is that how this is going? And we're all like, yep. How funny. And then Stuart and I became good friends. He's a lovely man, him and his wife, Belinda, and we had a great rapport and Reese working with him was great. And it was the funniest, one of the funniest days on set that we were giggling so hard with the improv we were doing yeah. that the camera guy had to stop, you know, the he DOP. Was laughing as well. He couldn't keep the camera straight. Amazing. And um, it was just such a rewarding experience because it was just really, we improved so much. Crazy. So just, for people listening amazing. with improv, does that mean they give you like loose lines or is it like, no, you go in, this is your intention for the scene and then you're just fully It was fully scripted and it was like, this is your intention, whatever. And as soon as we got one or two takes out, Stuart was like, let's mess with it. Oh, really? And let's keep rolling after and let's throw in another idea. And let's, because he, you know, he explained they kind of overshot those episodes by yeah. a good 10, they were half hour episodes, but they overshot it by a good 10 minutes in case they got extra gold that they wanted to throw in. And then he said, look, so much may be edited out and not even make it. And and in the end, some of, he said his favourite scenes didn't make the episode, yeah. which were our, our scenes. Yeah. Um, some of our scenes made it in, but I think the funniest moments, they didn't play to the story enough. Yeah. And he told me after, you know, they were my funny, my favourite funny moments because oh. they were really ridiculous. Um, but it was just such a joy to, to feel like I'm at the table. I got something to offer here, people. Yeah. People are laughing at my stuff. Totally. I'm a player. Hello. I love that it takes you to be based in LA and then flying <laughs> like across the world and to work with. Also, <laughs> to side feel validated. note, I think Chris Lilly is so amazing. Like, <clears throat> oh, I've been, if I ever miss Australia, I watched <laughs> Lunatics on Netflix. <gasps> I haven't seen it. My favorite character is Chris Lilly plays a pet psychic. Oh my gosh. In, I'll send you a I link. I have to after. see it. I'll put a link in the show notes too, just because it's so much fun. But, um, 
Chrisley, genius. So it's kind of oh. nice to know that you got to work with that director. Oh, because- with Stuart, he's so he's such a lovely guy, and he works all the time in the US and Australia. He's mm. um, he does a lot of um, comedy in particular, yeah. and drama, but a lot of American TV. Mm. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I want to ask you a few. Or before I actually ask you a few questions, when you and I hiked, you told me about this day where you got a call and you were like in exercise gear, you felt sweaty and someone's like, listen, someone hasn't rocked up on set for it to be a stand-in. Can you just, and you're like, I'm not really, I don't really do stand-in, but stuff it, I don't have anything on today, like I'm going to do it. And they're like, just get there now. Can you take me through what transpired? Yep. Okay. So exactly as you described, I had one of my few days off um, amidst amidst doing other work to pay the bills and stuff. And um, yeah, I don't do stand-in work, uh, but a friend called and just said, look, I gave your name to this company. They're desperate. They need someone. There's a film being made at the moment. It's an untitled Warren Beatty feature film. As it turns out, it was the film Rules Don't Apply. Mm -hmm. I watched the trailer last night. So good. And with Lily Collins and um, there were these two days coming up, including the one day I got the call, where they were going to be more intimate scenes in Mm -hmm. the film. And for for a lot of people who don't know out there, you know, when they're when they're big TV series, when they're films and they're going to have the same people obviously regularly turning up, they will contract certain stand-ins to be the stand-in for that entire series for that actor or for the entire film for that particular actor because to try and match up stand-ins every day on set is just a nightmare yeah. logistically. So the person who was Lily Collins' stand-in did not want to do these intimate two days of stand-in work with Warren Beatty's stand-in. Mm-hmm. And so I get this call, Elka, 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 you're the same size as Lily Collins. I'm thinking, I wish. No, you are. I you're gorgeous. <laughs> oh, bless you. But she's like 5'5", five, five, I'm 5'6". Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, height is really important with being a stand-in. And, um, you know, but they knew I had brown hair, brown eyes and everything. And they said, you know, uh, we just need you at Sunset Gower Studios. Like right now the stand-in hasn't turned up. It's gonna be it's gonna be a long day, and it's you know this un, untitled Warren Beatty film and that. And I was like, oh, I haven't showered. I was just gonna all I had on today was the gym. It's my first day. Like, okay, I'm coming right now. And they're like, because they're like, we don't care. Just come here without having a shower. We'll sort you out. So I turned up on set, and as soon as I went into the sound stage, everyone was like, oh. You're the saving grace. And I'm like, wow, it's like I'm the star of the movie. You know, they <laughs> clearly just needed this stand-in so desperately. And I, I came in and I met Warren Beatty's stand-in. And I was like, hi, what on earth is going on? And he said, oh, you know, it's an intimate two days. And to be honest, the uh, the other stand-in is caught in sick. She told me yesterday she's not going to come in because she's not comfortable with me. Uh, in these intimate scenes. Mm. And I said, yeah, but a stand-in for an intimate scene is you're not being intimate. Yeah. You're just helping them line up the shot. I'm not taking my clothes off or anything. And he's like, no, but, you know, she thinks I'm weird and stuff. And um, he was the nicest guy. Mm. You know, he was probably on the spectrum and just so lovely. Mm. And for whatever reason, that made her feel awkward. Um, I didn't see any reason why you wouldn't think these people were Mm. all lovely. And and so they um, introduced me to Lily Collins and, and she was like, thank lovely. you. Oh, she was so lovely. Oh. And she was like, oh, my God, Elka, thank you so much. And I'm like, oh, my God, you are so beautiful. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I'm not going to fit into that dress. But they were like, 
she was in this white dress and they just shoved this white shirt on me and stuff and said, don't worry, no one would fit into that dress that she's wearing. And um, then Warren Beatty came up and said, thank you. And he said, um, as it turns out, I would like to stand in for myself. And I was like, what? And so this guy, Richard, who was the stand-in, was like, oh, like I'm fine getting 400 bucks for the day sitting here drinking coffee, fine. <laughs> and so uh, I spent the next eight hours sitting on Warren Beatty's lap, straddling him, sitting on his lap. <laughs> Our noses were touching. We were staring into each other's eyes and we spoke about like our whole life stories to each other about so many life experiences. He told me about how, you know, your name reminds me of Elkie Summers. Mm. And at the time I was living with Elkie Summers, my namesake, famous German actress, mm. and he was like, get out, you are not. I'm like, yep, I'm named after her and she's my landlord. And he's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so, you know, Annette Benning was on set, yeah. Ed Harris, Alec Baldwin, and Seeing him work as a director, writer, producer and actor at the same time was just magical to have those next two days because they asked me back the next day. They said, look, we'd prefer Warren, Warren, Mr. Beatty, actually, Mr. Beatty would like you to come back tomorrow. And he said he really loves your energy on set and everyone really appreciates Mm. your positive nature. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah, I'm there. Like, yeah. So the next day I had like 10 hours or something on set again. Um, the girl that had called in sick was absolutely Livid. beside herself. Yeah. She found out Jealous. that Warren Beatty stood in for himself and she missed out on that opportunity yeah. and she was calling, you know, I've got a contract, you can't get rid of me, I need to come back. And they wanted me for the rest of the film but contractually yeah, they brought her back. But, I mean, if there was ever a moment... I've got another one like that. But if there was ever a moment to wake up in the morning in LA and never, ever, ever having any idea how your day would turn out and it turns out that wildly different, yeah, it, that was a day. It was just magical. And when the film came out, yeah. you know, and made it to the Oscars and it was, the, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, it's um, when Warren Beatty had that film come out and he was nominated um, or I think a few people were nominated in the film for different categories, he was on stage and he read out the wrong Winner. That Uh, was that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he said La La Land won. Yeah. And it was, I think, uh, Moonlight. Moonlight, yeah. Um, That that was that year that that his film had been a part of the Oscars. And so um, I went to a SAG screening like a year later or so of that film. A friend said, I've got a a spare ticket to see Rules Don't Apply and Warren Warren Beatty and Annette Bening and Lily Collins are going to be there afterwards doing a Q&A. Do you want to come? And I was like... Yeah. Yeah. And so right at the end of the Q&A, I said to my friend Susan, I'm going to go down the front and say hello. And she was like, would they remember you? And I was like, yeah. And they were all saying hi to fans and stuff. And I just stood there right at the back waiting. And then Lily went, Elka. And I went, Lily. And she said, come here. And then she said, Warren, Elka's here. And Um, it was just such a magical moment. And my friend was like, holy shit. (laughs) Warren Beatty and Lily Collins know who you are. And I was like, I was sitting on his lap for like 16 hours. Didn't you tell me as well you were, you could count his eyelashes? Oh, yeah, I said to him. how close you were. I, was, I said to him, the Warren Beatty eyelashes, they're so beautiful. I can count your <laughs> eyelashes, Mr Beatty. And he said, how many do I have? And I was like, 
one, two, three. Like he was just the nicest, mm. most humble, beautiful man and drop-dead gorgeous. Oh, yeah, I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, my goodness, you would have just been pinching yourself for oh, like weeks after. I just couldn't. All day I was like, what am I doing here? What am I doing so... here? What am I doing here? And I remember calling my parents that night and I was like, ask me what I did today. Ask me what I did today. And they're like, I don't know, we can't guess. And I was like, I sat on Warren Beatty's lap all day. And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah, what? I'm like, yeah, I know, it's crazy. So good. You said there was one other day that a story like that. What was the other day? Yeah, so that was really early on when I moved um, to LA. I'd done voiceover work in Australia and I had just my Aussie demo reel. Mm -hmm. And I had that attached to my Actors Access and I got a call in the morning and it was come to Warner Brothers right now for an audition for a voiceover for the movie Pacific Rim. Awesome. They had hired an actress who had booked the role and done the recording for the movie, but she was on the wrong visa. So <gasps> legally they had to go over her work again and I had just got my green card. Yeah. And they wanted the green card for yeah. that particular studio, um, which is not uncommon uncommon for that studio. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah. And I called my agent and said, I got this directly from casting. And they, were like, they said, wow, she's she's a huge casting director just, yeah, go in to Warner Brothers because it just came directly from casting. I think I self-submitted or something yeah, and forgot about it. So I went in and um, I'm like, oh, I'm doing the audition at Warner Brothers. Cool. Okay. Yeah. And I go in and there's 16 Aussie actors sitting around a table. <gasps> We're all in the waiting room and the casting director came out and said, okay, so you're here for the movie Pacific Rim. Here are the sides. Each of you is going to go into that room. You're going to read the first bit of text, which was this big chunk, and you're going to read the second bit and they're going to be two completely different reads. One is you're reading in a studio as this TV anchor. The next one is you're being chased by the monster yeah. and you're talking into a mic, screaming, running, huffing, puffing down the street at the same time trying to do this big news blurb. I'm like, okay, cool. And um, she said you're just going to go in one at a time, go in, it's a big cinema-sized screen that you're going to be looking at the the footage yeah. Uh, when you're reading and you're going to have the whole setup in there, this is what it looks like, you'll be fine, the engineer's going to be at the back giving you directions through the glass, yep, cool. And then she said just one at a time, line up and go in after the one after the other. We're like, great. And then just before the first girl went in, she said, oh, one other thing, the director in the room is Guillermo del Toro. And you had to go in? And, and audition for Guillermo. And he, he'd just done Pan's Labyrinth, which no. I loved. I was like, <gasps> and I was like, what am I doing here? And everyone in the waiting room's like, what? There were a few of us from Australia just laughing our heads off going, what is going on? We went in one at a time. Right at the end, they let everyone go except two of us. They said, two of you stay back. You have to go in again. And it was myself and this other girl. And Guillermo um, had us go in and do it, gave us different direction and he then made us wait outside and they said, whoever books this is going to go in and record it right now and it's going to be in the film because we just need the, the we need the it grab. recorded, yeah. yeah, straight away. So then Guillermo came out and he said, Annika Elka, I'll never forget the other girl's name, I'll never forget her name. <laughs> and he said, which one of you is the smoker? And, you know, part of me thought, <laughs> not me. I'm the health conscious, always yeah. done everything right, yeah. you know. And Annika said, that's me. I know. I'm sorry. 
And he looked at me and he said, this is the first time and maybe the only time in your life you're going to miss out on something because you don't smoke a pack a day. Oh, because that, that gave her he that He needed voice. the rasp in yeah. her voice because it was a bit broken. But he, he pulled me aside and he gave me a huge hug. Oh. He said, give me a hug. You have an enormous career in voiceover, my dear. Oh. And, you know, since then I've heard people who've said the contrary um, and I've done voiceover work and since then done a lot of training and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it's it's interesting how that hearing that from him, I still let hearing other negative feedback from other people overshadow Guillermo del Toro telling me. Oh, no. You know, it's such a mind game in this industry um, and about confidence. But having having that moment was just such a gift. It was just oh, such a beautiful, yeah. it was such an exciting day. It was. I was so proud of myself. Oh. I just gave it everything I had. I knew I did a great job. Um, it didn't matter that I didn't book it. It was just such a great experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, I can't wait. We're going to hike after this. <laughs> more stories. Okay, so I've just got some questions for people that might be uh, in Australia or kind of like thinking a bit like when you were 33 and like, okay, I think I want to take the plunge. Uh, it is so different to Australia here. So yep. like um, what would you say are some of the differences working in Australia versus working here? Uh, first of all, there's not a lot of lead time for auditions. You know, sometimes yeah. they're same day. Yeah, yeah, I've had auditions for, uh, you know, Young and the Restless or something and it's mm. like um, you need to be 100% off book um, in two hours and this self-tape has to be in and it's a big scene. Um, a lot of the time you're holding your sides but sometimes they will say, no, nah, sorry, just 100% off book. Uh, and so you just need to drop everything and you need people in your life that understand that that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes mm-hmm. and you wish it wasn't like that but you've got to be in it to win it. Um, it is not as, it's not, LA is not a city as full of people that want to use you as people think. Yeah. But it absolutely depends on who you are as a person. If you're a giver and a taker, you're going to meet givers and takers. If you're a taker and you're here to just meet people and take, 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 you're going to meet takers. Mm. It is what you put in that you get out. So it's, you know, like attracts like, we always hear that. And I've had the experience of people wanting to use me and what I've had to do is go, but how am I treating the city? How am I treating other people? How Mm. am I, like it takes a lot of looking in the mirror and understanding that, you need to be really self-sufficient emotionally mm. as well as self-sufficient financially unless you've got, you know, I don't have parents that pay for anything for me or whatever. Mm. I wasn't raised like that and I'm grateful for that because mm. I'm very self-sufficient. Um, and you need to have you need to have contingency plans. You need mm. to, you can't go in a room with any sense of desperation because they're going to smell it. You know, I love that I have a second career, so it enables me to be more focused in LA on just the work, not the money. Mm. Mm. Um, Definitely what I noticed and one thing that really appealed to me was it is fair game over here. It is fair game. Like I, I do sadly feel, and this is not the fault of the casting directors, but I do feel in Australia we see the same actors on TV a lot of, of the course. time. Yeah. And I know casting are bound by directors who are bound by investors mm. who just know the familiar faces. So believe me, I believe that if I was a casting person in Australia, I'd be dying to discover that new person as well. Mm. But 
it's it's got such a ripple effect. And as mm. a result now, we've got this industry which is so cyclical that unfortunately when I go back to Australia, I see the same faces on TV that I saw 10 years ago. And but when I when I audition here, someone can go, who the hell's that? She's perfect. Mm. We don't care we don't know who she is because they're always on the hunt for the next big thing. Mm. So it's it's very important to remind people that uh, you know, if you've done something that really propels your work to the next level and shows you in a new light to how someone may have first met you, they need to re-meet you as that new person because now you could be the next big thing. Um, people don't want you until someone wants you. We see that in, in every country almost in life, in so many cultures. So you have to keep yourself exciting, current, be doing things, bettering yourself. But it's open slather. Mm. It's open slather here. I've I've had auditions here for, you know, gone down to the final round for TV series and things and seen series regulars from Australia who are friends of mine and I've had someone say to me, what the hell are you doing here? Oh, no. Yeah, and I've said, well, I'm here for my final callback, but what on earth are you doing here, yeah. more importantly? Because yeah. I've gone, hang on a second. Yeah. I'm as worthy of being here as much as you are because we obviously both did the work. Yeah. And... So I really feel that it's about, it's definitely about preparation. You can try winging and get a little bit ahead in Australia to a degree, but this is, as my friend Graham, who's a great actor over here, said to me years ago when I arrived here, this is the Olympics of acting. Oh, yeah, I love it. So true. Everyone's, at, yeah. you know, the best actor from wherever they were in their little club, in their mm. little group, in their little suburb, whatever, that. They are the people that are here. So that's your ground zero. Mm. Now you've got to be better than the best because you need to break through and be recognised. And so I think preparation is so important. And it's honestly for a lot of working in the visa industry that I do as well, I see a lot of people want to crawl before they can walk. People say, yeah, but you did it. And I'm like, yeah, but I was acting for 13 years. Yeah. In so many things, hustling my butt off. Mm. I wasn't acting for five minutes. Totally. So you really just got to accept that, like everything in life, you just need to do the work. You know, for me, it was slow and steady wins the race. Mm. Just believe in yourself. Keep going. Don't listen to anyone who's going to pull you back and put you down. Um, but definitely if you believe you can do it and you are willing to do the work and you are prepared enough and you know that you can survive emotionally and get through those tough times because really – this is the industry where it's very rare to meet someone who says, I work in banking. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I work um, as a stockbroker. Yeah. It's you're meeting people who are on a parallel path, which is they're on a path like you, which means they could cancel on you at any moment for that audition. So yeah. you need to be okay being on your own. Yes, definitely. And that's a gift in itself because yeah. you're going to grow and develop because you're going to be forced to look in the mirror a lot quicker. So that's that's one of the biggest advantages of it. A good friend of mine who's also Australian that I was telling you about who's an acting coach over here, we caught up a few days ago and I said, I'm really confronted at the moment because I can feel that I'm changing and growing so much mm -hmm. and I love that. But it's still confronting because you're changing. Yes. And he looked at me and he goes, babe, you'll never be the same after this. <gasps> Could Would you agree? A hundred percent. I am so different and I'm telling you that I would not have – the self-belief and the self-love that I now have if I didn't have to go through this journey that LA put right 
in my damn face Mm. if I liked it or not because going home was not an option for me. I had decided that you were going to go through the thick of the crap. I don't care if you have to be in the fetal position crying every night for months to get through the worst of the worst of the pain of the fear of abandonment, of not being loved, Uh. of breakups on your own, of all of this, of rejection, of whatever. It had to, the turning point was me was, was when it had to be the joy was in the journey. It could not be about the outcome. It had to be that every audition was a joy. Every opportunity to meet another person was a joy. Everything was a gift because every booking became gravy. Mm, uh, Yeah, just added, yeah, so good. I wouldn't have been confronted with those challenges at the same speed at which I was forced to in LA. So I just think I, I need to be grateful for that. Um, I could have had a completely different life in Melbourne and I could have had a great life in Melbourne. Oh, Melbs is great. Great That's, coffee, dude. Yeah, great yeah. Coffee. Oh, great coffee. <laughs> Can't get past coffee. Um, <laughs> just so many things that I miss. Yeah. But at the same time, the self-growth and the self-acceptance and the taking responsibility for my own crap, it was. it's inevitable that it has to happen in us all the time unless we choose to never go there. But for me, I wanted to be, I want to be the best person I can be in yeah. life. So this is where it had to happen, clearly. I love it. Final question. Yeah. Uh, what is your advice for uh, someone that wants to act that might be newer in their journey? I think the best thing I can say when people ask me, for example, where should I start? I meet yeah. a lot of people who say, I really, I've always wanted to be an actor, but I'm too scared. I met a friend of mine through my other job the other day who said that. And I was like, number one, you don't want to die wondering. Totally. If you want to know where to start, get into an acting class. Don't try to go get a manager or agent. Do not go and do that. You've got nothing to show them. What if they get you an audition? You are going to go, I have no clue what I'm doing. You, for, for everyone that can act naturally, there is stuff that you cannot learn unless you're in a class and go, Technique. oh, God, I never would have known that. Or yeah. you don't know what terms are on set. You're going to look like a moron going, what's first position? What's what? What the lighting's important? Where? How? What? You're that close up? I don't. I don't need to be that big. What? Huh? It's different for film, for multicam comedy, single cam comedy. Did I didn't know that? Um, yes, you can be a talented actor without that training to an extent, but you need to train. Put in the hard yards through the training at whatever school you go to. Then experience a different teacher in a different school. Then experience a different course in a different teacher in a different school. See what your groove is. See what style of training works for you. You're going to pick up something from everywhere, but then you're going to meet the contacts who are going to share with you their agent, their manager, the journey they went on. Then you're going to see what works for you, but don't go, I want to be an actor. I'm getting an agent. Totally. Just just throw yourself into class. Learn the craft. It's If I came to you, Lola, and you were, as I have a lot of friends who are um, like amazing dancers, incredible best of the best, we're in footloose, you know. And I came to you and I said to you, hey, Lola, I decided, I just decided this morning, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a dancer. You And you've had this career that's been going for years and years and you've been working your friggin' butt off. And it's not about competition. It's not about going, well, you should have to struggle like I struggled. Da, da, da. No, anyone can be that 0.01% who just gets the lucky break, of course. But you'd be like, yeah, you've got to learn to dance. Because yeah. you don't know what you don't know. Oh, but I've watched hip-hop on TV. Oh, but I've, I can copy them. Yeah, to an extent. Totally. I would say throw yourself into training and when you really find your voice as an actor and you know who you are, what kind of actor I With stand-up comedy, I had to find my rhythm in stand-up. Mm. I had to find what kind of stand-up am I? There's a million and one different stand-ups and, with you know, but who's Elka? 
throw yourself into training and let it just naturally come from there. I love it. This is perfect advice. Oh, you're amazing. Oh, my God. Thank, thank you, you so much. That was so much fun oh, to chat to you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, mate, I could talk to you all day I long. love it, mate. <laughs> Big love. love. <laughs> thank you, Elka Berry. You're Thanks. amazing. Thank you so much. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lollaberry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment. And of course, spread the love. Spread the love.